Check my inbox and what do I see? Just another day, another T-R-A-D-E I'm an addict And I need it in my veins, I'm an addict Otherwise I feel plain now Every day I wake up, people got a problem Making all these trades up, got me singing got em. But I've been paid up, I even started from the bottom See I don't wait up, I ain't even playing possum So what it cost them just a couple of firsts Can't believe that it worked, not to say I'm a jerk But I'm an addict, it's what I said in the first You can curse all you want, you can pray in your church But I'ma keep tapping return, I win up I learn I ain't trying to burn any bridges I yearn for the feeling I earn I'ma win it's a turn, he had a cheek before I drop you like the beat I'm an addict, and I'm not really ashamed I'm an addict, I'm reclining with the brain I'm an addict, and the pot is what I'm playing I'm an addict, Russell Rocky Other names, Trade Addicts Pod Let's go I'm Scott Sidlow, and I have a trading problem I'm Dennis Michelson. I have a trading problem. Hello, everybody. As you already heard, there is no Russ Fisher tonight. There is no Rocky Petrella tonight. This is a Russ and Rocky free show. They are still, well, let's say recovering from the uh, Fantasy Football Expo there in Canton. And I heard it was... A hell of a weekend and uh, a lot of fun, so definitely a little uh, FOMO there. But uh, hey, you know, it, it is what it is when you've got uh, little ones and responsibilities and whatnot. So at some point, I will uh, gladly join into that uh, chaos. But tonight, we've got a great guest for you, uh, a real pro, actually. In fact, it's kind of... Um, it's probably not great that I'm hosting since, uh, you know, he is an actual radio host. So <laughs> hopefully he just doesn't pay attention to really what I'm doing or how terrible I am at this. But um, we have Mr. Uh, D. Mike, Dennis Michelson at D. Mike Media. Dennis, thanks for coming on tonight, man. Appreciate you coming on. And uh, how's it going, brother? Oh, it's going great. Uh, it's been a busy week, uh, and it's only Tuesday, or as we like to call it in the radio business, second Monday is in the uh, books. <laughs> but great to be here today. It's uh, you guys have a, a fun show, and it's glad to I'm glad to be part of it. And hey, you know we've played against each other in fantasy. It's about time we do a podcast together. That's right. That's right, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on here to uh, session 225 of Trade Addicts on the DAP Network. And uh, we're going to get right into the interview, man. So how long have you played Dynasty? And you just told me an incredible story about this. So let's let's share that for the listeners. How long have you played Fantasy? And then how long have you played Dynasty? Well, it's fantasy. It all depends on your definition of what you want to call fantasy football. Uh, buddies of mine back in the mid-1970s, so it gives you an idea of how old Ooh. I am, uh, we started playing a game called Fantasy Six Packs. There were six of us. We picked six players, and we only counted the touchdowns. And how much of a, is a touchdown worth? Six points. So it's all about sixes, man. It was this. It was the, the uh, all about six packs. Uh, we were dumb teenagers. We thought it was cool, and 
but it was fun because you know you know we'd put up five whole bucks but back in the 1970s young man that was a lot of money but you know you could win 30 bucks it was winner take all and whoever finished first drafted sixth the next week so it was a weekly thing you didn't keep any players and you just uh, drafted six new guys every week and tried to play the matchups and only touchdowns counted. So that's how I got started in this crazy thing. Amazing. But uh, started playing uh, in a uh, couple of leagues, a couple of home leagues, if you will. Uh, one at United Airlines, where I was a meteorologist at the time. And the other out in uh, Cary, Illinois, where uh, we moved. And yeah, shout out. Played with a bunch of fun people. And, you know, it was a league that we kept together even as people moved all over the country. Uh, we managed to keep that league together for about 12 years. It wasn't a dynasty league. It was just a typical uh, redraft style league. But I got very involved after a just having a couple of leagues of realizing how much fun this was. And in the early days of the internet, um, I was doing some writing as a NASCAR reporter while I was also uh, working at United Airlines. And I kind of stumbled into a guy asking for my advice on fantasy football. And little did I know he was running a website at the time called Fantasy Gauntlet. And it offered me a job writing. Uh, after I gave him some great advice on his league. And it was this dumb chat room on AOL, you know, way back in the day. And and so I was writing, and one of the things that he wanted me to do was to show how to build a roster in a keeper league. I had never played a keeper league up until that point, but I found a couple of unique keeper leagues on Yahoo Fantasy Football (laughs) back in the day. And, you know, it was sure better than keeping score by yourself, which I did, you know, starting in the late 80s and early 90s. But, uh, you know, if you can imagine that. And that the only good thing about keeping your, having to keep stats is it kept you from playing in 45 or 50 <laughs> leagues. <here. laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> but it did take a while. And, you know, you had to have by, bylaws in the rules to, to declare which newspaper was the official newspaper, even the, the stupid things that we had to do back then. But um, played in a keeper league for the first time, and it was a very unique keeper league. I found a last place team, and I built it into a champion in one year. Uh, and again, it was just all out of ho- knowing how to trade and knowing what keepers right. to keep and which to let go because of position uh, scarcity and, and the rules. But sure. I got I got involved in 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 more and more keeper leagues um, back in the day, and then um, decided to make the jump into dynasty. I think my first one was in like 2017. I started playing. Uh, my first dynasty league, and I was hooked. I just have yeah. added a few leagues ever since. And, you know, the, the key, you know, to my success, though, in dynasty is, is probably more surprising than than any, any of your other guests you've probably had on because I play dynasty closer to redraft than probably anybody else around on really? the Internet and have a lot of success with it because in new drafts especially, there's a lot of value to be made with wide receivers that are 28 to 30 sure. 
and those guys will continue to to produce for a number of years um and the only difference that i make in my strategy when it comes to drafting in dynasty versus redraft is i will totally disregard ages early in the draft and grab just the guys that are the best players and are going to score points for this year um but as the draft goes on, I'll try to layer my ages so I won't have two old codgers at quarterback sure, sure. and a bunch of old codgers at wide receiver or running back. I try to layer my ages, but that's the only difference on how I play redraft versus uh, or huh. dynasty versus redraft. Interesting. Interesting. So some of your, you know, from a startup standpoint, I can uh, certainly understand that. And it does make sense because you can get a lot of value typically with the aging players, right? And they usually will produce long past their value, right? There's always that that threshold yeah. point where it's, okay, I can't sell this guy, you know, or I have to make the decision. Do I sell this guy and get out or do I just roll with them and basically he'll die on my roster, right? Um, so have you found with your longer running league, so let's say, you know, even three, four years, um, have you been able to reload then with using picks? Like, do you, do you, have a focus or an emphasis on keeping your draft pick so that you can reload? Um, or are you all into the point where you're even trading away those picks and you'll just kind of figure it out as you go? It varies depending on the strength of the team. Um, okay. Now here's another place where I vary from the typical dynasty player. I hear a lot of people say, well, if you're not the top one or two teams in a league, it's time to rebuild. I don't believe that because fantasy football is all about getting on a run. And if you have good roster, uh, a good roster build, um, if you make the playoffs, you can win the championship because injuries happen in fantasy football. And a lot of times the top two teams in the league are running back heavy. And late in the season, those running backs do tend to break down. And that's just in time for the playoffs. And a lot of the running backs are on really strong teams. And, well, they've got a lot of their uh, season is pretty much wrapped up as far as playoff seed late in the season. So you might see them give a, a running back the day off at the worst time for your fantasy football team. So, um but yeah, if I have a bad team, I mean, I had a league one year where I got done with the, the draft and, you know, I, I looked at the team after the fact and I'm like, I had the first draft pick and this is back right after Saquon had a tremendous rookie okay. year yeah. and Saquon Barkley was my first pick and that was a good pick back then. Right. Every other pick after that, I'm, I was trying to examine what went wrong and I decided quickly that it was easier just to figure out what went right. And what went <laughs> yeah. right was I made one good pick and then I, I was a bozo the rest of the draft. I don't know what I was doing. And my team, I looked at it and I was like, this is God awful. I'm, I'm going to be lucky not to embarrass myself. And I had a guy come a calling for Saquon Barkley. Now I don't tend to a lot of times put players on the block you know, physically, sure. because to me, that almost shows like a little sign of weakness. But, you know, in the chat, I might, you know, somebody might ask me, send me a message. Hey, is Saquon Barkley available? 
And my response when somebody asks if a player is available is usually about the same sarcastic thing every time. And that I would trade my mother if I got enough picks and players in return. (laughs) That's right. And so my other thing that I do in Dynasty when it comes to trading, and I probably shouldn't give this away since we play in a a league together. But no, my my first strategy, right, when somebody approaches me for a draft or for a trade, it's never good enough. You know, I want them to add something. I'm a big plus one guy. Okay. You, don't trade, okay. you don't trade one for one in fantasy football. You, you trade one for more, for multiples. And you don't trade an average player for an average pick. That never gets your team any better. In fact... I kind of like keeping those average players instead of average picks. Um, But what I try to do is if somebody comes calling for a player and I see that I can do without him, I don't have any love affair with any players. I'm a big Kansas City Chiefs fan. I'll deal Patrick Mahomes. You know, I would deal him in his prime, you know, a couple of years ago when he was the – Sure. You know, the player to end all players, I was taking trade offers on him weekly, even though he's on my team since he was a rookie. And, you know, but the thing was, if there comes a point where trade is enough, well, this guy offered me three players. One of them was A.J. Brown, who really hadn't done much yet, but was, a, of course, a, a rookie the year before. Right. And traded me uh, Dallas Goddard, who was nobody. He was a rookie also. He was just sitting on the bench behind Ertz back in the day. Yeah. And in one other player. And then he traded me, you know, he offered me two picks, two first-round picks in the consecutive years. And I said, no, I'm going to need more. Because the thing is, when you look at somebody's trade offer, you, you also need to look at what they have available for sure. a counteroffer. Don't just make a, you know, don't just say no. Go ahead and know from a position of strength. And this guy had a lot of draft picks to give up, and he wanted Saquon Barkley. So I ended up turning it into seven players when all was said and done because I took some of the picks and some of the players and I turned them into multiple picks and players. Right. Right. So the, the trade of Saquon Barkley has turned my, turned my team around from a lousy team to a 500 club. And then additional trades now has me probably as the powerhouse going into this next season. It took three years to rebuild this piece of crap team. Sure. I made the playoffs the last two years, but I bowed out early. And this year I've got a, a pretty good team, but I've, I did that by always getting the plus one. And I'm also not one to say if a player is good, if a player actually shows promise as a rookie or for or a second year player, there are so many in the dynasty game who will trade him for an improved pick. Oh, I'm going to, I grabbed this guy with a third round pick. I'm going to trade him for a second round, or I'm going to trade him for a first round pick in the future. Well, just because you bought him for a third round draft pick doesn't say he's worth only one more level up. He's worth what he is now, not what you drafted him at. And that's why I look at NFL, you know, rosters and everybody else. Oh, he's got the draft capital. 
well, if he sucks, I don't care if, you know, if the guy had draft capital, I, you know, if he sucked, he sucked. He is, that's, he's now at the suckage level. He's no longer a first round draft pick. I look at it. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Although he's sitting on so many of my dynasty rosters, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm still, I, I, I'm not quite as bad as my love for Laquan Treadwell years oh, ago. Oh man, yeah, that was a killer. Ooh, I was a Treadwell killer. believer, but Me you know, too. I am a, I'm a Holden Rager because I can't get anything for him, and right. I, I'm not going to cut him. Uh, I rarely cut players. Also, I mean, I will if. They don't have a home and, you know, sure. I need to need to make a roster spot. But even then I'll offer somebody, hey, I'll trade you, you know, like I'm trying to trade Corder Corderell Patterson now. And mm-hmm. I'm willing to willing to to offer him cheap in one of my leagues because I now after the draft completed, I have 11 players over the roster. Yes, yeah, so you got to take whatever you can get. Yeah, so I, I'll, <laughs> I'll take a future fourth round or third round pick at this point because he's not even going to make my he's right. not going to make my starting lineup and he probably isn't going to even be coming off my bench this year. Cause it's a it's a one of those rinky dink eight team leagues that I got involved in. I can't. Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, I was at a point in in Dynasty where if people were nice enough to invite me, I'd say yes before I looked at the rules. (laughs) I went through that phase. And and in this particular team, I I, I joined it because it was a guy who's nice on Twitter. And uh, he's all, you know, oh, I want you to play in our league. And I, I joined up. And I was the last guy to join. And as soon as I saw it was eight eight teams, I was ready to leave. And then they activated the start of the draft right away. I was like, I, I can't be Sucker. that. I can't be that idiot who <laughs> yeah, joins right. the league and then leaves right as the oh, draft pick. Man. Because I also got the eighth pick. So now oh, I look like a geez. real doofus yeah, if I get the eighth yeah. pick and I leave. Yeah. You know, know, nobody's going to believe because it's, I don't play eight team leagues, but I stayed and I've had fun. I've actually had fun in that league and it's actually taught me something. And and that's the thing that I really encourage people to do is play leagues that are different because each league will add to your value of how much you learn on, on how to play fantasy football. Yeah, no, I yeah, definitely agree with you there. I've I've expanded my horizons recently doing contract leagues and some different things like that. So definitely um, a lot of different ways to play. And I mean, hey, what we always say is, you know, play what makes you happy. So eighteen yeah. league is your jam, then you know, go for it. Yeah, but uh, try what makes you happy, but also challenge yourself to something that is out of your comfort zone. Because uh, if you try, if you're used to eight and 10 team leagues, go ahead and try a 16 team league and, in, in, right. you know, visit some of the insanity that some of us do that play in those leagues regularly. But what it does is it teaches you better management skills when it comes to your roster. Sure. And, you know, that will pay off in your typical leagues that are are your bread and butter my my partner over at science of fantasy uh, football both on the podcast and the website professor john bush john has this this thing that he always tells us to do as fantasy players keep a diary 
of how you did in each league. It doesn't have to be a dissertation. It doesn't have to start with, you know, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It does not have to be a war and peace level dissertation on each league. Although some people do. I know some people do that. Some people do. But I just will keep notes to myself and I'll say, you know, eight-team league, get my ass kicked. Don't play eight team leagues anymore, you know, or whatever. It's you learn from your mistakes and you also learn where you can make money because I enjoy fantasy football because it's fun. It's a camaraderie among people. It's a contest and it's a game and it's about forecasting. And as a weather forecaster, you always want to prove you can forecast the future better than anybody That's else. Right, former meteorologist, right? Correct. Well, you're, you're, it's like being a Marine. You're never you're a former a meteorologist, but right, you're always, right. but, but your, <laughs> your skill set is, is such that you were always competitive on wanting to be better than the other guy in forecasting the future. But if you keep a diary on how you do in particular leagues, you'll know where to play for the most money. Like I'll play in a 10 or $25 or free league against anybody. I've got more time on my hands to manage the team. If I don't do a great job of managing, I'll at least set a lineup and be competitive. But if I play for a hundred or 150, then I get a little serious. And those are the teams that you look at the most. Sure. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I mean, another great point you made was just that you don't have to be a juggernaut to to go for it. And I mean, that's something I wish I learned years ago, but I actually, the league we're in is a great example in the hyperactive yeah. league because I joined that league and uh, one, there was one team that had at that time, I believe it was Barkley, CMC and Cook. Yeah. Like he had yeah. all three of those guys on top of, I mean, the rest of his roster was really good too. And it's just like, well, how do you beat that guy? You know, so like, what do you do? So then it's like, well, I'm looking around and everybody else is kind of rebuilding. So I'm already behind on that. If they're ahead of me and they're worse, they're going to get better picks. And they've already sold the players to the competing team. So so I ended up just saying, screw it. And I just kind of went for it. And, uh, you know, I got as many picks as I could. I ended up in the in the third place game that first season with an absolutely terrible team. Because that's just the way things fell. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I need to take that approach a little bit more with, across my portfolio. And I'm definitely going to be doing that this year and just saying, like, if I'm good enough, I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna go in and, and I'm going to make it happen. I might not trade away every future pick I have, but I'm still going to be competitive because I'm likely already behind the rebuilding teams anyway. So, um, you know, you kind of have to make that decision early or just not be afraid of... Uh, of those potential juggernaut teams. But um, all right. So what comes to mind, best or worst trade, best and or worst trade oh, that you boy. can think of? <laughs> you probably got a couple good ones. So let's, well, let's hear it. My best trade is the one I already mentioned where I gave up Saquon and I got yeah. what ended yeah, up being seven starters in my lineup, Beautiful. including Justin Herbert and Tua and Jamar Chase and Pitts. Amazing. I mean, that's, that's Amazing. the guys that I was able to build around from one trade. So that was my best trade. My worst trade actually comes with another funny story because I was playing uh, during the early internet days in 19, I think it was 96 or 97. I conned the boss into getting 
an internet connection at the work at work at the <laughs> at the weather center because we needed the data that we could only get off the net from sure. San Francisco to support our forecasting. Well, at three in the morning, there's no data coming in from San Francisco worth looking at. So I was managing my fantasy football team and it was getting near playoff time and I was trying to make some moves and, you know, there was a Monday night football game coming up and I saw a guy who I might be able to trade for that was playing on Monday night football. So I made the deal up to my team unbeknownst to me, the email actually went back to the IT guy in the department which then was, of course, quickly turned into the boss running the department because the IT guy was in the middle of a grievance against the union, and you kind of guess who the section chairman of the union was. Oh, boy. So I get called in the car on the carpet, and I'm handed this copy of this email. And my boss says to me, he says, Dennis, do you think this is a good use of company time? Do you think this was a good idea? And he hands me the paper and I'm looking at it and it's my trade. And I was trading away a lot to get Emmett Smith for the playoff <laughs> run. And I just, I looked at him and I said, boss, these are desperate times we're in. My running backs were hurt. I needed to make a move. And, and I tried not to break a smile. Because this guy did not have a sense of humor. Yeah, yeah. And and my boss Carl looked back at me, red faced, just <laughs> veins bursting out. He says, "I'm if this ever happens again, I'm getting rid of you." Well, he couldn't because I was union, and I knew it. I was a smug bastard union guy and i just i laughed it off but the reason that ended up being the worst trade is because that monday night football game i needed three whole points i think i needed three more points i should say to uh, win the game early on and emmett smith goes up trying to score a touchdown, comes down awkwardly and leaves the game with a neck injury. Oh, Not to play God. anymore the rest of that season. So oh, I had wow, traded. the season? Wow. Yes, he was okay. gone. It was the end of the year. He was, he was gone with a neck injury, Monday night football. I was three points away from winning, didn't make it, and that was it. <laughs> But and I had traded away two good wide receivers, I you know, in another running back, uh, you know, to to get Emmett Smith, and that's my always been my key in trades is I don't listen to what a trade calculator says. I don't okay. care. I don't right. care who's getting the better end of the deal. <laughs> right. Did it make my team better? That's all I care about. And if I can make a few trades where it makes both of our teams better, but I yeah. still can beat that guy, then I'm happy because then I've got another trading partner in that dynasty league long term because I didn't, I didn't fleece him. He didn't fleece me. We both sure. ended up with a happy trade, but I will usually overpay on a deal 
to get the guy that I need for my team. You notice I didn't say the player I want. Sure. The player I need to make my roster better. So if I need a running back and the pickings are slim late in the season, right? I'll overpay even to get Clyde Edwards Hilaire on my team. <laughs> no. Or whoever, or whoever, if he's going to score me 10 points, 8 to 12 points, I don't care about the big game. I just don't want to put the donut hole up by playing some bozo. So that's when I'll overpay on a trade. But usually I like to keep my draft picks. I like to invest for the future. But I have no set, like... Some players that you play against, you can spot their pattern really quick. They're the value traders. They're going to get the value. I'm right. I'm going to get great value for Jamar Chase because he'll never be more valuable than he was last year coming off that big season. Why? Sure. Maybe sure. he's going to be good for the next 10 years. Exactly. So that's why I will not just trade a guy for value. And the other trades that I hate that – are trade calculator, you know, gems that people will send yeah. me a copy of the trade calculator. Right. And, and it's, and it's the, it's the five dull nickels oh, for one yeah. shiny dollar right. 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 type of trades. And they'll oh, be like, the, Oh, the, the values even, yeah. but, but keep, keep trade cut shows that right. you, you're winning this by 1200 points. And right. I'm like, yeah, none of these guys are even going to be in my starting lineup, and you're yeah. asking me to give away one of my starters. If I'm giving a starter away, if there's a player that I've been starting that I rely on, and I'm asked to give him away in a trade, I want two starters in return. I will give you that starter, but I'm going to get two starters back. It doesn't mean that I'm going to get two better players than what I had. It's just that now I've got two better starters collectively than I had before with the one great player. So, and that's the other mistake that I think a lot of people make is when they go to trade players, you know, sometimes you have to trade the best guy on your team to get more value for your team. And sometimes you don't. Sometimes you just don't need to give up the core of your team. You can give up a draft pick. You can give up somebody else um, to, to get that advantage. And that's why in dynasty startups, I usually go quarterback heavy in the draft. I go wide receiver quarterback heavy, and I try to get an elite tight end. If I've got that as my core of my team, if I've got two really good solid quarterbacks that are going to consistently outscore the other guy's two quarterbacks, and my tight end is going to outscore his tight end, and my wide receiver is going to be a push because they're good, but they're not you know, the over-the-top guys, I'm okay at running back. I'll figure something out. Yeah, um, yeah I'm with but, you. Yeah. <laughs> But the other benefit to having more quarterbacks in Superflex, <clears throat> those are the guys you can deal for a big package. Right, right. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I, I agree. There's there's definitely times where you have to know 
uh, your roster. Sometimes it's more about how many starters, too. If you have a deeper, you know, start 12, start 13, I'm less inclined to have that Jamar Chase, and I'm more willing to have, you know, a couple of the next tier down guys in that lineup. So, you know, if you're in an eight-team league, then I, I'd rather have Jamar Chase, right, because you're going to have a smaller lineup. And, uh, so the smaller the league, right, the better the player that I want, typically, or the smaller the starting lineup, too, the same case can be. Yeah, when you're in those smaller leagues where you don't start many players, that's when you really need the depth of the studs. And in the deeper leagues, I like to play in a lot of three-plus flex leagues. Okay. Mm -hmm. And a lot of 14-team leagues. So you've got more players total in play. That's where I'm going to pick up the advantage of who that second and third tier is at each position that's where i'm good my weekly value tool picks out those guys that are undervalued by other people um again the professor and i talk about this all the time not only did i grow up as a weather forecaster i grew up at a horse race track so (laughs) playing the board playing the odds understanding the concept of underlays and overlays that is framed in my fantasy football work as well. Well, and so let's uh, let's get into that a little bit. So um, at DMike Media on Twitter is your main handle, but then you also have at Sci S C I underscore F F, um, and that is the science of fantasy football. And so um, that I believe you started then with Professor John Bush, correct? That's the two of you. That is correct, um, um, and. Yeah, so, I mean, why don't you tell us a little bit about that and, um, you know, how you got into it. And, I mean, man, the science of fantasy football, that sounds intense, you know. Well, I'm a meteorologist. He's a biologist. Okay, okay. We couldn't couldn't really get away with calling it the Bakers of, uh, you know, the (laughs) Bakers secret of of fantasy football. Now, but – it, it is all about science uh, to figuring out statistics in fantasy football. It really is because any, as a meteorologist, I can look at any set of numbers and I can find a pattern um, because that's what fantasy football is, is about pattern recognition. And weather forecasting is about probabilities. Forecasting anything in the future, whether it's grain markets, whether it is horse racing, whether it's football point spreads, whether it's fantasy football, whether it's weather, it's all about predicting the future based on an incomplete data set. So when you use the science of fantasy football, when you talk about using the scientific method, it simply means using statistics in a smart way. So many players in fantasy football and so many, and we don't call ourselves fantasy football experts or analysts, you'll notice. We call yeah. ourselves fantasy football researchers. Now, okay. I've, I've won enough money the last two years to pay for half of a house down payment and a trip to Disney World from my fantasy football winnings. That's Ironically, awesome. yeah. both of those costs were about the same, but <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> the, the key is I've done very well the last two years in fantasy football using 
just my position scarcity and understanding how to use average draft position to my advantage. Um, but I was able to do that because unlike many fantasy football analysts or experts that are out there that, hey, I like player Z, you know, oh, player Z is going to be the, the whole thing. And well, now I go looking for statistics to support that theory that player Z is going to be the best wide receiver out there. That's cherry picking of stats and that's finding an excuse to support somebody. So that is sort of like how a drunk Uh, making your argument. Yeah. Yeah. How a drunk uses a light pole. They don't use the light pole for its intended use, which is illumination. So you can see where you're going. They just use it to hold themselves up because they can't, do it on their own. So they're using the light pole for support instead of its intended use of illumination. That's what statistics are is using the scientific method. For instance, there was a discussion yesterday by one of the leading statistical minds on fantasy football, a guy that writes for 538. So, I mean, these are smart, smart statisticians, but even smart statisticians, don't catch the pattern within the stats that is causing things. You've heard of the, you know, correlation versus causation argument. Well, their argument was wide receivers are better to play in the flex than running backs. And they didn't give any explanation other than everybody should know that by now. And that to me (laughs) isn't an answer. And and I was thinking about how I've played in one flex leagues redraft lately over the last few years with, you know, winning success in most cases. And yes, I've used a lot of wide receivers. But my answer was to the question, should you use a wide receiver or running back in your flex? My answer was I use the best player Available points. Yeah. Right. Okay. Depends on my roster build. So the answer was given by this very smart statistician was there are more 30 point plus games scored by wide receivers than running backs. Okay. And I said, maybe, maybe, but my answer to whether this was the right hypothesis was I'm going to study it. And I asked, do you have any data that supports what you're saying? I mean, this is a guy that writes for 538 for crying out loud. All they got is statistics. Yeah, Um, And no, you should know this. You're an old fogey if you're still playing a lot of running backs. Okay, I'm an old fogey, but I'll play (laughs) the best player available. Thank you. So I did it. I started doing a study today about this and I got about seven games into a 32 game set of data that I'm going to study. And what I found was, first of all, there are so few 30 point games in a given week. They're uh, only about a median of about four to five top uh, in any given week. That's the usual of how many 30 point games. Well, in a 12 player league starting what eight Uh, players yeah yeah so eight players times 12 i'm not counting kickers and 
Okay, sure, right, right, right. Um, but let's say you're starting, even if you just count wide receivers, running backs, and that flags, you're starting six or seven players, and that's 84 players in play. Right. In you know, and you're only talking four of those are going to score 30 points or more. That's the wrong thing to be chasing because you're chasing something that is so elusive that you're not likely to hit it. Well, yeah, so, if you're scoring 30 one week, but then the next three you're scoring two. Uh, that yes. That's not helping you win game. Maybe you won that one week, uh, but how'd you do the other three? Correct. So that was the first flaw in this argument, just based on 30-point games are more prevalent with wide receivers. Then you start looking at who scores these 30-point games. And you get the usual suspects who are the top wide receivers who are, you're never going to get on your team in a flex in a redraft league. Right, right. Because they're, you're not going to get them all. So there you're eliminating that. But the other ones that scored 30, I mean, I'll, I'm consider myself pretty knowledgeable on players. And when I saw Chris Moore's name pop up, I was like, wow, Chris Moore, who's Chris Moore again? Oh yeah. That's that wide receiver that had one good game in his entire career for the Houston Texans. And it was last year. So you look at these guys and you're like, some of these wide receivers that score points, they score 20 you, you or wouldn't more. You even known to start them. You wouldn't have started them. It would have been right. fantasy football malpractice to start them in, <laughs> right. in most leagues, you know, especially in 10-team or 12-team standard, you know, scoring PPR leagues with one quarterback and one flex. It would be fantasy football, you know. It, it would it would it would be ludicrous to start. Yeah, Chris Moore's mom wasn't even starting him. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Right? So when I looked at started looking at the data, I'm like, I see a flaw in this argument, and this is coming from a guy who really knows how to use statistics. So it shows you that even great people in that work with stats every day can get caught up in using the stats to prove a point rather sure. than using stats to teach them what is the right play. So I'm looking forward to doing this article. I'm hoping to have the data done and have the article out sometime early next week, but it's going to be called Flex Appeal. It's going to be an analysis of the last two years worth of worth of big point games. And my analysis will be very incomplete but it will give you an idea of where it ranks as far as is this a plausible myth is it a you know is this garbage fact my gut feeling says that my strategy which i talk about my draft strategy and i called it better than zero rb okay <laughs> and the reason it is is because it doesn't tie you in to any one strategy. It's a strategy that flows with the draft based on what's available in that draft. Sure. And I think that same strategy for starting lineups is going to be good as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, I, I'm, I'm with you for sure. And I think, um, you know, we've talked about this. Uh, you know, we talked about this on Junkies a lot. 
uh, over the summer too. We, we had a lot of analytics guys on, we had a lot of film guys on, and I think, you know, it's, it's crucial to have a good mix of both, but it's also exactly what you said. It's not just about, well, let me find a stat that proves why I think this guy's good or why I think he's bad. Right. Like it's just, that that's just not the right way to do it, you know, and, and you got to have some sort of uh, data set. So I love the way that your approach of, of being a researcher, right. Um, that's just, that's amazing. That's really cool. So and, that and is when uh, I, science of fantasy football.com, correct? That's correct. And when I came up with this whole idea of doing things more by the numbers, it doesn't mean that I don't look at the numbers and then go with a gut feeling sometimes sure, based on course. stuff. Ultimately we have to set our lineups, right? So you've got to set you know, a lineup and, and right. you've got to make an educated guess, but sometimes it's hey, the weather is crappy here. I'm going to go with the lesser player because I think there's more uncertainty due to the weather or due to whatever. Um, but the reason I set up to do a forecast that is as blind as can be as to what the forecast is going to do to the player's overall rank is because I had been Joe Mixoned just like everybody else over the years. He was a player that I had high hopes for. He disappointed me. And then the next year I was like, I'm off on this guy. Heck with him. I'm not going to support him. Well, last year I decided that uh, for the last two years, I've, I've used my position scarcity and my forecasts almost exclusively along with ADP. And I've thrown away a lot of the old, old ways that I used to draft. And one of the reasons that I'm, I will never go back is because of Joe Mixon. Last year, the data forecasted he would be a much improved player. And he was. But enough of the players that I had bad feelings about because they had let me down as a fantasy football player in the past, when the numbers said they were going to improve, they improved. And that's, you know, to a high enough percentage. Do I hit every player? Of course sure, not. Sure, Otherwise, sure. I'd be I'd be coming to you with an island in the background <laughs> right? No instead of a, an old door from that's the 1900s, right. but early 1900s. But the, the fact is, if you can hit 80% of your forecast better than consensus, last year, Cooper Cup. I had him forecast to be somewhere between my fourth and 10th wide receiver. I didn't have him forecast as number one. I missed his forecast by a huge percentage when you look at his weekly value, which is different from points per game and different than year-end values. Year-end points, by the way, are lazy and deceiving. I I have, I'm contractually obligated to say that at least once a show, but the, the the reason I was successful on Cooper Cup was because I was much higher on him than consensus. So he ended up on a lot of my rosters. Two sure. years ago, it was Aaron Rodgers. He was all over my rosters. Um, and I picked up on some guys like George Kittle, Darren Waller, uh, Mark Andrews last year was oh, yeah. on on almost ninety percent of my redraft rosters because I was he was criminally underrated last year. 
I was getting him as late as the seventh round for crying out loud. And then when I got him in the seventh round in one one league, I was like, why was I stupid to pass on this guy for yeah. two more rounds? You know, <laughs> why did I take a chance? But the whole thing is, is you got value. I mean, I drafted him in one redraft league where I'd already had Kelsey in the second round to start the second round. So, but value is value. And if you get a guy that is is immense value and you don't add them to your roster you're you're defeating yourself right yeah no andrews uh took me all the way to the scott fishbowl finals last year so i mean yeah he was he was incredible i mean he was a guy i was getting in the fourth round of rookie drafts uh you know i'll never forget that and ever since then it's been my goal to i'm gonna mix in some tight ends in the fourth <laughs> round because if i ever hit on a mark andrews again that is uh that is incredible um, are you are you taking some Isaiah likely late this year? Yeah, yep, yep. Handful handful of likely. I've actually mixed it up quite a bit. Uh, I've got uh, pretty much every one of those tight ends. Uh, you know, Rucker, uh, Chig Akonkwo from uh, Tennessee, likely. Uh, actually, both Baltimore tight ends. Um, pretty much all those guys uh, beyond like, you know, McBride and Woods are going ahead of, ahead of the fourth. But uh, yeah, in the fourth round, I've, I've usually would take running backs. I just take a flyer on somebody, uh, but I've really mixed in, especially playing a lot more tight end premium leagues nowadays. Uh, I've been uh, just stashing those guys. You know, if I can have one or two of those guys on my roster behind Mark Andrews, and then one of them hits, you know, not even to the level of Mark Andrews, but it just, yeah just be relevant. Right. And it doesn't take much for a tight end to do that. You know, that's, that's a huge value add for my team. That I can turn it to, you know, points or future picks. And there's um, a, there's another case where doing a tight end premium league made you smarter in every league. Right. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. Cause, because, I used to just ignore the tight end position. I mean, I, yes. I did no research on them. I didn't care. I didn't, I didn't look into it. And now, yeah, you're right. Uh, that's, that's huge. All right. Well, you're the guest. So you get to pick the next segment here and we're going to either, uh, <laughs> we're going to do listener questions or trade addicts trade. So you can pick uh, which one we do. Next. Oh, we got it. Since we're trade addicts, don't we have to do a trade or two? got to get in the trades. I All think right, it's, I it. think it's uh, federally mandated. That's Otherwise, right. you have to change your name. Yeah, I agree. I always like to start with the <laughs> trades. But we let the guests choose. So you made the right choice. So good good job, Douglas. I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, okay. So this week, we had uh, two trades in Trade Addicts. One, which is the only league, the only Trade Addicts out of the 10 without return yards. Uh, first trade we have, of course, the um, preseason hero, George Pickens, 223 seconds and a 23 third for the mustachioed man Gardner Minshew and the favorite son, Javante Williams. Um, Dennis, give me, give me your thoughts on it. Again, these are uh, super flex tight end premium leagues. So, um, Okay, so this isn't a mustache premium league. Not a mustache premium, correct. Okay, all right. Correct. So basically you're asking, is Javante Williams worth George Pickens two second-round picks and a third-round pick next year? Right. That is the gift from the gods <laughs> to get a running back of Javante Williams' quality. Yes, I know he shares 
the backfield with Melvin Gordon. Okay, I get that. Irrelevant. It it doesn't matter because he right. was fantasy relevant last year as a rookie. My gut says he learned how to play the game better as the yeah, season. Yeah, he was a linebacker a few years ago, so yeah. Yeah. So I like his chances of increasing his value this year. And to give you an idea of just how much I like him, he's my RB12, even though I'm only forecasting 10% more volume for him. Wow. So I am okay. still have Melvin okay. Gordon in the mix. For this for this only, year, yeah. Okay. Correct. But, uh, yeah, and I love George Pickens. Okay, he's a big-bodied yeah. wide receiver, but he's also had some issues with temperament and other Not things. And off the field. That, yep. Correct. Yep. But but a, he hasn't played a down that counts yet. Right. He's made one good play where he probably should have been whistled for offensive pass interference. There was a <laughs> there there were there were a couple other plays during the game where he should have been whistled for offensive pass interference and the officials will learn just like the players do from watching preseason film and he's not going to get away with that all right. season. Right. But yeah, I this is Javante Williams straight up for two Second round picks, a third pick, and George Pickens. Yeah, you know um, that's that's a deal though. Where if I have Javante Williams and I'm looking to rebuild, that's not a bad deal that way. But if I'm looking at the value, I take Williams. I'd, I mean, I'd, I'd spend that much to get Williams on a team that I expected to win this year. Well, think about this. Let's go back a few months. Where where was George Pickens likely drafted? He was probably the one twelve, right? Maybe the yeah. one eleven, maybe even early second. But let's just say yeah. he was the one twelve. So, would you give up the one twelve and a couple of seconds and a third for Javante Williams? I mean, y yes, no one would not do that deal. You know what I mean? And so, uh, yeah, clearly it's the Javante side here. But um, you know, again, this you can take take advantage of that preseason hype. You know, Twitter the Twitter sphere going crazy and guys getting blown up. If you can take advantage, do it. Now I still actually really like Pickens a lot. I think he's going to be a yes. really good player and I've been thrilled to get as many shares as I have, you know, at the yep. end of the first uh, or even early second. So um, there's nothing against George Pickens. It's just the fact that Javante Williams and what I've been saying for a year is that Melvin Gordon, even though I was wrong technically about him being irrelevant production wise, I was definitely right about him being irrelevant to Javante Williams' value because he's basically RB three. Yeah, you know, and, and certainly yeah. within top five for everybody. So this this one's uh, this one's Javante Williams. Yeah, and the reason I said I'd make that deal if I was in a rebuild is because wide receivers have a longer shelf life sure, sure, than sure. running backs. Would I make that deal, or would I try to get even more for Javante? Is the question. I think but you could get more. I'd I'd. You know, I would probably try to get a little bit more, maybe one of those draft picks being a first round pick and instead of a third round pick, then all of a sudden that puts the yeah, value on the other definitely. side of the equation. But definitely. but yeah, that, that was an interesting trade because it's another one of those trades, though, that could go either way, depending on what I'm doing with my team at that time. Yeah. No, and that's, the, and that's ultimately why they get done, right? Because you have different objectives and that's why, why, why it works.
All right, well, here's one that uh, this one's kind of interesting. So the next one also in Trade Addicts 1 is Derek Carr for Jimmy G and Zach Wilson. So I'm not a big Derek Carr fan, okay? Um, I think he's an adequate quarterback. He's a guy that I love to have as my QB2 or my QB3 in a super flex. He's not a quarterback one in a super flex. So what you're saying is, is a quarterback two worth two other quarterback twos or threes, depending on how you value. And right now, even though I'm not a big fan of Derek Carr, I would not make this deal. I would hold on to Carr because you don't know if Jimmy G's going to have a job. Right. Because right. he's going to come at a higher price tag and maybe teams won't. So that limits the number of teams that have the space to afford him. True. And is is there going to be a trade that they're going to have to make or is San Francisco eventually going to cut him? I don't see the benefit to cutting him. They just right. soon keep, keep him on him. the team. Yeah. Yeah. So so that muddies up the waters there. And now Zach Wilson, you know, I know he went from being dead to being <laughs> fine. And the reality is probably he'll miss two weeks is what I'm yeah. guessing. Okay. Um, and I, you know, I'm not even sure a healthy Zach Wilson, I'd make that deal because Zach Wilson is an unproven guy. Derek Carr is not an upside guy, but we know what we know about him. I think coaching change will help make him a better player. I think Devontae Adams makes him a better player for this year. I still don't like him long-term. I'm glad he's on the Raiders because I'm a Chiefs fan. So that's kind of how I quote <laughs> that one. So I'll tell you what, I have supported Derek Carr year after year after year. And finally, like two years ago, I just gave up. I said, you know what? This guy is what he is. I'm over it. He's not a top guy. I don't care. I'm moving on. I pretty much sold all of my shares. And then, of course, you know, he gets Waller, and then Renfro comes through. Now he gets an offensive coach. Now he gets Adams. So I can pretty much guarantee you Derek Carr is going to smash this year now that I got rid of all my shares. Um, but, yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't want either side. So um, I don't care at all. I just – I, you know what? I made a trade uh, for Jimmy G in another league where he was kind of a throw-in um, just yes. to have, like, another potential – guy that you know if he starts somewhere or even next year um so i don't I, the jimmy g zach wilson side i'm not sure what that team is doing if that's a rebuilding team and they're trying not to score points this year then i think i understand why they would trade away car i just feel like should have been able to get a little more than that um but at the end of the day i know zach wilson has been getting some hype because of all the weapons he has and everything. So we'll, we'll yeah. see if he can stay healthy because this is two years now that he can't even make it through preseason. Yeah. And it, he's a guy that I really don't have a good feel for yet because he doesn't have enough data behind him. Derek sure. Carr, when it comes to weekly values and I increased his weekly value this year because of the better coaching and the better stat, the better characters around him. Okay. With okay. Adams. I still only get him up to the QB 14 level. So he's okay. still okay. marginal to me. Fair enough. Okay. 
Uh, we got two trades here from Trade Addicts 3. So the first one is James Robinson for Geno Smith, a 23 fourth and a 24 third. So basically James Robinson here for Geno Smith. Um, assuming Geno Smith is the starter, which I don't assume that. I think Drew Locke's going to be the starter, but I don't know. And I mean, they could, Pete Carroll could say whatever he wants, and I don't believe anything he says. Um, so I'd probably be on the James Robinson side here, uh, even though, again, he's a guy without draft capital. He's obviously coming off a big injury. They have ETN. Um, so another one where it's, it's kind of just pick who you want. There's really no value winner necessarily in this trade. It's just more of like, hey, here's a running back I like, or maybe here's a starter or, you know, half a season starter. Um, so where are you at on this one, Dennis? I do not like to invest in quarterbacks that have an uncertain situation. Um, and running backs, on the other hand, you can never have enough running backs. Um, last year, to give you an idea, I mean, I'm a running back hoarder when it comes to deep <laughs> roster dynasty teams and on one team where I had acres and I had a couple of other decent, you know, guys who were supposed to be decent threats at running back. Uh, they were all gone. By the time the playoffs came, I played Jarrett Patterson and Dare Ogunabwala oh, in the finals and I got touchdowns from both of them. So oh, wow. if you, if you have enough hoarding of running backs, somebody will be alive come playoff time. <clears throat> James Robinson is a guy that I'm stashing late in drafts okay. everywhere. I don't care if it's a dynasty startup that I've gotten involved with. I don't care if it's redraft, best ball. Um, we're in a, a professor and I are in a $125 buy-in uh, best ball. And we got James Robinson nice. at a nice. really good value. And it's not that I think he's going to beat out Travis Etienne. Sure. But I don't necessarily think Travis Etienne is going to be their their ground pounder guy. Workout, yeah, I think back, he's right. going to be more of an Eckler type. Okay. And so, you know, James Robinson has survived two different coaches who didn't think much of him. It's true. And he became a starter <laughs> against all others. So why not a third coach doing the right. same? So, right. um, and the coach he's with now, I think, has a tendency to to ride a running back if he finds one he likes. So, I think there's upside for for Robinson here um, because I think Etienne is more of a hybrid type player than a real hey, I'm going to give it to this guy to to put a game away type of guy. So I think if Jacksonville has any kind of an offense, that's the other question mark with James Robinson. True. Um, but they got to be better, right? And James Robinson has It'd been be a, a marginal running back in fantasy football last year, and it was actually pretty good his first year. So yeah. Uh, yeah. I like that deal because I don't think much of Geno Smith's staying power in that position because, and this is why, Drew Locke is the guy that they're going to run out there and give a try somewhere this season because they got to find out. If they don't trade for Jimmy G, they got to find out if Drew Locke can do it because next year there's probably seven or eight guys sure. that are going to be 
considered NFL quality quarterbacks coming into the draft. 2023 is going to be the big quarterback draft. Um, right. And then it's going to get lean for a couple of years, maybe. So this is their year where even if they don't have a top five draft pick, that they're going to have a shot at a quarterback. They need to find out if Drew Locke's the answer. He probably isn't either, but they're going right. to probably be, want to run him out there to find out for sure. So that hurts Geno Smith's value in this deal. No doubt. All right. We're both on the Robinson side. Okay. Next one. Chase Edmonds for 23 second. Um, I, I can start with this one. I mean, I'm, I'm fine with Edmonds. I think he's going to get some run in that offense. And, you know, we know what that offense could do for running backs. So, I, I mean, I'm fine giving up a second for him, but I probably wouldn't do it right now. Um, I'd probably just wait it out and I'd, I'd buy a running back later in the season. Uh, but I have, no, I have no problem with it. Yeah, for, you know, a running back who has knees that apparently work and that he can still breathe for a, for a 23 second is, is probably okay, but I'm probably trying to buy somebody else if I'm a contender. And if I'm rebuilding, I don't want to give up draft picks for Edmonds, but Edmonds is obviously the better value in this trade. But again, there's a lot of trades that I look at where I'll say, you know, I don't want either end of that trade. I don't want that deal. And this would be kind of one of those because is Edmonds the most talented guy on their roster? Yeah, probably. probably. Does yeah. that does that mean anything? Maybe not. And then the other the other thing I love is well, you know, he's they they showed they they spent the money on him. Yeah, the, right. pa the Patriots spent a lot of money on Juno, Jono, Jono Smith last year. Yeah. I can't even say the guy's name. He's so disgusting. And they didn't even activate him for a few weeks. So money, right. money is not going to save you if you're not showing skill on the football field. And there is a lot of running back. There's a lot of guys on that roster. I go right now. six deep on guys that have a shot to, you know, have a role or even lead the team any particular game. So, so isn't it possible that we see three guys out there splitting the touches on any given week and it oh, yeah. waters down the value of everybody at that position? That's kind of what I think when it comes to Chase Edmonds. Does he have maybe some upside? In the receiving game, probably. That would be the only thing. Yeah. But does Tua throw to running backs? He's got he's got Tyreek Hill. Why wouldn't Tyreek Hill is more likely to line up in the backfield and take a short little pass than Chase Edmonds? So that's where I look at at this situation and I look at the parts and pieces. You've got two guys in Waddle and Hill who make more sense to dump the ball off to and let them run like the jackrabbits they are than yeah, Chase Yeah, no kidding. For sure. Last one here. This is a good one. This one's from Trade Addicts 8. This is Deontay Johnson, the newly extended Deontay Johnson, for Elijah Moore and a 24-second. I'll let you start on this one. Now. Oof. 
Well, I like both players. I have both players valued a lot higher than just about anybody else in fantasy football. Deontay Johnson, believe it or not, and I say believe it or not because you won't believe it, he's my wide receiver six right now. Wow. Uh, Yeah, I just I love this kid. Yeah. Now I'm the quarterback situation. I don't care. It's better than big. It's better than Big Ben. Okay. Big Ben had no arm the last two okay. years, and Deontay Johnson was a target whore. He just yep. sucked yep. those targets up to right. the point that he pissed off Juju Smith-Schuster, who <laughs> then left town. Um, but I'm also higher on Elijah Moore than just about anybody else. Yeah, because he's, he's amazing. When I do the math on Elijah Moore's rookie season, and I forecast him to have just a modest increase in production going into this year. And if he doesn't have a modest increase, it's it's crazy. Uh, he's my WR15. So I got both guys that are just big-time values. So, um, and here's the way I value further down the road picks. Yes. A, a 24-pick from the second round to me is like getting a, a 2023 third, you know, it's, it's, it's like yeah. getting a, a third round pick. Yeah. I, I look I'm at that you. as a third round pick is, is what I look at it as. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I, I would not trade Deontay Johnson you'd, for you'd that, with Deontay there. Okay. but I'd probably try to get Deontay for something other than Elijah Moore. This is a case where I probably have, on a lot of teams, I have a lot of both of those guys because where they're going in ADP, see, just because I have Deontay Johnson at six and Elijah Moore, you know, at at 15 doesn't mean I'm taking him there. Right. I'm I'm getting them at their ADP and I'm getting them maybe a few spots before their ADP. And so I'm getting them at value and I'm having multiple guys. I had a, a team where... In the draft, I took A.J. Brown ahead of Deontay Johnson, even though I have A.J. Brown ranked number 12, which he's actually gone gone up to eight today because I did an article about him. And when I looked at the data closer, I noticed that, you know, I was kind of a little lower on on A.J. because he was going to another low-volume team Mm -hmm. when it came to passing. And then I looked at how many of the plays – where Jalen Hurts ran, where they weren't scheduled for him to run, uh, and it, okay. it's like a it's like a hundred more throws. You know, is no he going kid. to? Oh, wow. Is he going to How throw many? the? Yeah, it was a huge number because he ran okay. the ball like a hundred and forty times last year, and there were only forty times where he really it was, it was the RPO run. that was designed okay. for him to run first, and he took some of them that. You know, he probably shouldn't have, which were bad sure. decisions on his play. He'll yeah, probably make a better running, decision. Right? Yeah, so yeah. he'll make a better decision yeah. this year. Might cut his number. But a huge number, probably about 80, should have been thrown. But okay. he had he had if they covered Devontae Smith, who did he have? If he right. couldn't get the ball to the tight end, he had You mean you, you know, mean Jalen Rager wasn't open? And yeah, who was he had the garbage at at yeah. wide receiver that you know you look at it and you go, well, no wonder they were doubling Devontae Smith and trying to take him out of the game. Oh yeah. So so if if that was the case, he had no other choice but to run for his life. And 
you know, so I look at that and I, I, I upped AJ Brown. So he's about my, our, our WR eight. Now you could still get them pretty cheap, but the point that I'm making is I've got a lot of teams where I've got AJ Brown, Deontay Johnson, and Elijah Moore as my wide receiver core because I got them all at value. And I've even got a fourth one in there, you know, before I had to draft sure, Elijah sure, sure. Moore because he's coming so so cheap. Yeah, yeah, he is. Now, down the road, I think his value drops in Dynasty because I think the other rookies, you know, the new rookie is going to be the yeah. better of the wide receivers long term. But okay. this isn't this isn't long term. So I think for this year, I do like the chances of Elijah Moore, you know, being the better wide receiver. But, um, you know, down the road, that'll change, but not this year. So do you have are there any numbers or any trends that you've seen over the years? Cause you mentioned this Elijah Moore and, and Garrett Wilson, right? And uh, you know, we've seen it before talking about the Steelers even right with Juju and Antonio yeah. Brown. And, and so there's always that argument of does the one guy make the other guy better or would you rather have the guy with the volume? Um, so, you know, do you, I guess if Garrett Wilson is going to be an out, you know, Elijah Moore is a slot. Right, he he's just a magician in the slot. That's that's his his role. But he can play outside, right? Because he's he is a good player. He can get off the coverage. Um, but if Garrett Wilson, I mean, he's not a big guy. So you know, we know he's fast. We know he's strong, and and he has a good skill set. But if he's playing outside, Moore's playing inside. Are they going to complement each other? And then it's really going to come down to quarterback play, right? Well, it's going to come down to quarterback play. It's going to come down to how they're defensed as well. You know, do you do you get more passes to Elijah Moore short because there's a blitz going on? You got to get the ball out. I mean, it, it's hard to read, so I don't even try to read it. I just okay. say, okay, I got two good players. I know Elijah Moore has been successful. I'm going to take him and let it beat me. And as a rookie year. Rookies tend to be a little slower at getting into the game, especially if they're not a big body guy. Now, sure. Elijah Moore had a good rookie year, and he's certainly not a big body guy. Right. But he's fast, and you know, and he plays that position that it kind of you know defies size in a lot of ways. So, when I look at that, I don't try to figure it out. I just let the data guide me once I've got some data to go on. Once you but, have some to go on. Yeah, okay. but okay. early in the season, I mean, if Elijah Moore, if I had him at 15, you know, in my rankings, and I had to pay 15th to get him, I probably would be passing on him because there's this level of sure. uncertainty. There's this range of logical outcomes, I like to call it. That's a little larger for Elijah Moore because of quarterback situation, because of rookie, highly drafted rookie coming in. And quite frankly, the Jets sucked last year. So do the, does the suckage get less this year? Probably. Does the quarterback get better if he's on the field? Joe Flacco isn't going to scare me off of a guy, but he's not going to excite me about a guy's growth either. But the whole point is of this argument is I've got Garrett Wilson ranked pretty high as well for a rookie. Okay. And and I wouldn't mind grabbing both on a roster because you can do those comfortably at their ADPs, even in redraft. Have them both. 
take a guess on who you're starting. And after a few weeks, you'll know who the wide receiver one is going to be if one emerges. What's very possible is that you have an entry. You have a one and one A. You don't have a number one and a number two. Right. That's right. a very possible situation. And it could water down both of their values, but they're both great values at ADP. That's the that's the thing. I, I hear so many people in this world of fantasy football, it, they'll say, you know, you see it all the time on Twitter. Who wouldn't you draft this year? And my right. answer is, my answer is nobody. Nobody. Like I, I, a guy that I wouldn't draft, I wouldn't touch with a ten foot pole in the first round because I think he's, you know, a risk. If he drops to the third round for some reason, changes everything. I'll take him. Right. Ezekiel Elliott is the poster boy for year end points are deceiving mm-hmm. and la- and lazy stats. By mm-hmm. the way. I felt obligated to say it a second time. Um, But, you know, he wasn't RB6 last year as far as weekly value. He was way down the list. Oh, yeah, not even close. But if Ezekiel Elliott drops in a draft, again, in in our best ball FPPC draft with the professor, he loves Ezekiel Elliott. And when he dropped far enough for us, I said, he's a bargain. He says, but you're not crazy about him. I said, no, but he's a volume king. And he was playing hurt all of last year, which is going to degrade his stats. If he's healthy this year with the volume he's going to get, he could be a top five guy again. But that's how you have to analyze every player. I wouldn't take Ezekiel Elliott in the first couple rounds. Right. You'd be crazy to do that. Yeah. But all of a sudden, there becomes a point in every draft where a guy goes from being a stay away to, uh, hey, come this way. And those are the guys I want on my team. I want as many of those value plays as I can get. Late in a draft, a guy that I've got rated really low in weekly value is ending up on a lot of my teams because I discovered a stat that he had more uncatchable balls thrown his way as targets last year than just about anybody else. And that was Robbie Anderson. So Uh, if Baker is any damn good at quarterback and all of a sudden, you know, and Baker, we know can throw the ball. Yeah, we do know that. We do. So Robbie Anderson, all of a sudden becomes a best ball guy that I love. I still don't like him. Yeah. Yeah, he's free. He's a yeah. he's a bargain at the end of drafts. But that's how I evaluate stuff. So that's kind of, you know, that gets us back to the Deontay and the Elijah Moore thing because I love Deontay Johnson this year. And, you know, it, I think he's, he's worth the – I would make that trade to get Deontay because there's enough uncertainty in Dynasty going forward with Elijah Moore – and the 24 second, it don't mean nothing to me. I might not even be alive by 2024. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I I think I have to agree. I love both players. Um, the second doesn't really sway me. So uh, I think I'll, I'll take Deontay here as well, um, regardless of quarterback situation. But, you know, that's a discussion for another day. So let's uh, let's go ahead and jump into our listener questions here. Um, we have a, we have a few uh, good ones. Uh, I'll just start it off with uh, at Rewind CEO uh, Michael Bauer and and Mike. I'm not even going to ask your question 
on air and I'm not even going to answer because you already know the answer. So don't ask questions. Okay. You just, no, don't ask questions. You, you don't want to know the answer to, because honestly, you already know anyway. Um, let's go, uh, at FF Tommy B. How do you audit your biases? Do you find yourself making similar process errors year over year? That's where mathematics removes as much bias as possible. When I'm looking at a player, I do the rankings, and I do the rankings right after the season ends. So I calculate the data. It is a formula. It gives me weekly values on every player, and you can't cheat it. Okay, it is what it is. There's some guys that I absolutely like to have on my team that rank really low. Keenan Allen does not score well in my best 10 stat. Okay. But he but he does score incredibly high on a consistency to a 10-point floor. And that is data that I also look at. But when it comes to calculating my weekly values, I don't take any of the biases into into view so what i do is i i calculate all the points okay of what they accumulated over the last two years i use a two-year data uh stream to kind of soften out a bad year and a good year type of thing and okay. it gives me enough data points to look at and i have a, a formula to take rookies and injured players and try to put them on the same level as a vet who played 32 games in the last two years. Sure. But at the end of the day, I've got all that data. I calculate it right after the regular season while the playoffs are going on. So I've got that data. It's set in stone. It's not changing because it's, it has no bias. It's data. Sure. Um, and then when I go to make my first forecast of the year, I don't usually do it until March. So by March, I've got an idea of where the rosters might be. After the draft is when I really make my forecasts for the upcoming season. And so when I make that first set of forecasts, I'm just saying, is a player going to improve or is he going to drop in value? I don't even remember what his value is by that point. And so I just look at every every player. I basically do it alphabetical, so I don't even have a list of best to worst or anything like that. And I look at every team by every player, and I calculate that percentage. I do the math. I have the result. And then I put my list together. And that way, I'm taking as much bias out of the system as possible. And that's how I end up with a ranking where I'll look at a guy and I go, how the hell did he end up that high? But, or how the hell did he end up that low? <laughs> I don't really care about that. That's just one piece of data in even weekly values. And I swear by these numbers. They're, you know, I use them to, to develop what I call position scarcity uh, index, which is similar to a value-based drafting thing that the football guys okay. invented yep. many, 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 many eons ago. And guys like Mike Reedy have, have a system yeah. that is similar. Just brilliant minds all thinking alike. We didn't steal from any each other. We just came sure. up with similar ideas. And, and so I, I really will base a lot of my decisions based on this, but it's one piece of data. Consistency is another piece of data. Games over median, uh, a thing that we're beta testing, that the professor is beta testing this year. That's one okay. other piece of data. You 
in weather forecasting, there right now about seven computer models that you can look at every day. So you can basically find a model that says what you want it to say, you know, what you want okay. the weather to be. Right. And that's that's how a lot of the forecasters are doing it. I look at one main model. I come up with reasons why this model is, you know, could be wrong based on what's going on in the dynamics of the atmosphere. And then I make my forecast. I'll look at the other models to see if my my forecast needs to be tweaked a little bit. But I'm not going to go through seven different models because I'll find seven different forecasts. Sure. Sure. And similarly, I use this data. I use it religiously. If a guy's got a low weekly value score, he probably is going to end up on fewer of my teams in new drafts. And that's okay. It's just one level of uncertainty that I've analyzed. And I'm, I don't want uncertainty early in drafts. But just like the Robbie Anderson thing, there are things like if Keenan Allen drops, I'm taking him. You know, if he drops right. past where I think he should pat, should drop, if he's another two rounds past his ADP, I'm all over the guy because I know what he can do on a consistent basis. But there's things about his numbers that scare me. There's something about his age that scares me now because he has had injuries. But that's how I analyze it. So by doing the math and doing the math almost like a scientist would do a double-blind study on something, you can eliminate as much bias as possible. Does it eliminate all of your bias? No. But that's where I usually will err on the side of being cautious. So one of the players that I have absolutely in love with this year is the sun god, Amon Ra St. Brown. What a cool name. Yeah, right. But I think highly of this kid because he did something that n nobody's ever done. In made Detroit ten... relevant? Or... Well, that's that's one. <laughs> I don't know if he even made Detroit relevant. <laughs> yeah. But but in fantasy football, you got 10 targets six games in a row. 10 or more targets six games in a row. Show me the last players that have done that. Whew. And I will... And I will show you the best players in the NFL at okay. wide receivers. So can he carry it on this year? Maybe not. So when I did his forecast, a typical rookie increases by 20 to 40% the following okay. year with no other changes other than I learned how to play football better sure. by the end of this year. So going into the second year, he's usually better. I didn't increase his forecast at all because I said there's okay. enough uncertainty because it's only based on six games basically. Right. I'm not going to I'm not going to give him the usual rookie bump. In fact, in some ratings I I played with the idea of a ten percent drop hmm. because there's more wide receivers on the team now and you know the team didn't get really all that much better. So it, maybe he just is, you know, they're, maybe their defense gets better with uh, Aiden Hutchinson and they're not down by 20 points. Early, sure, so they're sure. not winging the ball at the end of the game. But it, those are the kinds of ways that I try to take bias out by taking players that I bias, that I have a bias for liking, and I try to under forecast those guys. And that way, if anything, now if I'm wrong about, you know, ARSB, I'm wrong 
but I'm still way above consensus. But that's how I try to remove bias. If it's a player that I really am fond of because I see something in the stats, I'll err on the side of a lower forecast for them improving the following year. Well, at FF Tommy B, that was a hell of a uh, scientific and methodical and <laughs> very intelligent answer that I will not be able to match. Um, however, <laughs> I will add to it that, you know, I don't play like the typical player because I am a dynasty portfolio player. And being in so many leagues allows me to have some wiggle room on some of those things. So if there is a player that, you know, I'll tell you one of my biggest biases is I'm, I'm here in Chicagoland and I know how shit the organization is. And I just, now I don't like Justin Fields anyway, but even if I did, the guy's screwed because they have, there's nothing around him. And the organization doesn't care about the team and they don't support them. And the field they play on is trash all the time. I mean, you should have seen the pictures. Uh, my, my brother-in-law was out on the field uh, before the Chiefs game. Uh, last uh, was that Saturday they played. Um, I mean, the, the field was just atrocious. It was just, it was terrible. Uh, and I mean, come on, it's like, it's not even week one yet. And the field's already in bad shape. Like, come on, you know, and this, this is, this is what they deal with. So a lot of times I tend to downgrade players more than I should, like, like a Darnell Mooney. I've been kind of going on tangents of like, why is this guy even relevant? I mean, the guys, like, I mean, I could step on him. He's just so small. And, you know, you just don't see those guys succeed very often. Not, he is the only show in town, so he is likely to be relevant. But if you're taking him as like a top 24 guy, that just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, so I think we have to understand what our own biases are and and just maybe kind of counteract those a little bit. Where, you know, if I'm a little bit too negative, sometimes I got to try to bring that back. Or I go and I try to find the positive articles or the positive data behind some of these guys and see if I can kind of bring my mindset back to the middle. Um, so that's kind of a practical approach that I take. Uh, and as far as like process errors year after year, I mean, the thing is you can't replace experience. And, you know, I've been in so many leagues for so many years now that, you know, if you're in two leagues for, you know, three years, you, you, that's the experience that you have. You've been playing for three years and you're in two leagues. So you've had probably maybe two strategies that you've tried and, and you've done it over three years when you're in 46 leagues and you're going into years, you know, year nine in my first dynasty league. Um, I've, I've been able to try so many different strategies and do so many different things that, I, I won't make the same errors over and over again. I might try new things or I might try different things, but it's, it's process over results. Like some days we just don't get the results. Some days the guys just don't score the points and we don't win that week or we don't, you know, make the playoffs or we don't win the championship, but the process is always there. And I'm going to keep following and refining and trying different things and talking to smart people like Dennis and the other guests that we have on and just being a part of the community and just learning as much as I can so that let's take the other errors that other people have made. Cause it's not just about one person. I've gained a lot of experience because I've been doing it, but if you're only in a couple of leagues or if you're really new to dynasty, you can lean on guys like me who, who have made the errors. So that's where you get into, you know, join our Patreon and, and talk with, with the patrons and and everybody in there is always having amazing strategy chats and 
uh, talking about, you know, you throw a trade in there that you're thinking about doing and you're going to get 25 different viewpoints on it, you know, and you might, somebody's going to come up with something you didn't think of, um, you know, and when you're going into your rookie draft and you say, you know, should I move this piece or should I trade back or should I do, you know, whatever it is that you're going to do, uh, you're going to get a lot of different feedback on that. And that's going to, that's going to help you minimize, you know, process errors, biases, whatever it may be. Um, and, and that's what it's all about. So you got to lean into your community and, and use your support. And so when you have a feeling or you have, you feel like you might have a bias on something, that's where you got to check yourself. right? And you got to just remember, you don't know everything. I don't know everything. You know, no one does. We all have our different viewpoints. And I think when you start to put all those together, and that's one of the reasons that I listen to 30 plus podcasts every week is because I want to get a lot of different viewpoints and I want to, I want to hear the different models and the statistics and the film guys and, um, you know, every, everybody from, from every walk of life, giving their viewpoint on it, that's going to help you keep everything in check, regardless of whether you, you're a Chiefs fan and you're on cloud nine with Patrick Mahomes or, or if you're a miserable Bears fan, who knows, you know, he's got to wait for the queen to die off before the, before the kids can sell and we might have a chance. So, um, well, well for the, for the Bears fans that are suffering Bears fans, and as a Cub <laughs> fan, I can understand yeah, yeah, being a right? suffering Chicago <laughs> fan. Uh, and a Blackhawks fan too, and oh, they've been oh, awful man. lately. But anyway, um, I am going to to get you talked down off the ledge because <laughs> you've got an incredible bright mind that is running the show now. And so okay. when I okay. when I look at what that young man who's now running the Bears team, Ryan Pauls, mm-hmm. when I look at what he advised last year alone for the Chiefs to do. He got a Pro Bowl rookie lineman in the Mm -hmm. sixth round. Yeah. Because he was smart enough to understand after doing the research that he could find a health regimen that would make this guy better. And so he got a first... The guy is worth a first-round pick. He got him in the sixth round, okay? And they were still using... Ryan Pohl's scouting notes, uh, okay, uh, okay, when they prepared this year. And that's how they got Isaiah Pacheco as an yeah. undrafted free agent. So this is a guy who finds these diamonds in the rough, and it may look like he's flailing right now. I will make the prediction, not necessarily as a rookie, but in his first three years, Vilas Jones is going to be a lot better than people expect. I understand he's eligible for AARP already. (laughs) I understand that he's talking to Social Security Administration about retiring already. I understand all that. He's the old guy. I get it. But no, all kidding aside, I really do think Ryan Pulse will find you some gems. And I also like what he did in the draft, concentrating on defense. Oh, I do like his draft. Yes, he's got to get the defense better before he even tries to get the offense better. I think Justin Fields is going to be okay. Um, I'm glad they, you know, and I'm a Chiefs fan. Okay, I thought a lot about Matt Nagy as an offensive coordinator. Oh boy. 
Matt Nagy proved once again the effect of the Peter principle because he was elevated to his level of incompetence. He'll be a great offensive coach. He'll come back into the league. He'll be an offensive coordinator. He'll be a juggernaut of an offense that he'll put together for somebody. And right now he's kind of moonlighting. But, you know, he will be a great offensive coordinator again someday soon. I don't doubt it. He's not an offensive coach. He's not a a head coach. He just didn't have the command of things. Is their new head coach any good? I have no clue, but I love No one knows. No one even knows who he is. Correct. I love the general manager. And if the general manager had anything to do with the decisions that went into hiring a coach. Well, he did. I will trust his his value because, and again, I I say if because they say he did, but did he really? You know, I just that's how little I trust. That's how little I trust the the what's left of the McCaskey family. But I do trust Ryan Poles, particular coach, and their advisor wanted another particular coach, and Poles told them both, "Nope, this is my guy." Yeah, so, Poles is yeah, Poles is a is going to be one of the more brilliant minds to come in. Now, it's going to take a while to rebuild oh, that yeah, team. Although, yeah, well, although I, I told my stepson, who's a big Bear fan, I said, you know, he says, "What's the best you you could see on this team?" I said, "If I'm right about the offensive pieces being better than people expect, I said it'll shock people." what I'm forecasting with their schedule. I think they could, well, they like, their, if everything goes according to, like, if everything works, okay, yeah. if all the decisions yeah. they make are good decisions and Fields is a good quarterback, I could see them surprising the heck out of people and winning nine games because they do have some talent. And if the rookies come through on the defense, they're going to have a better defense again. And I could see him doing a nine-win season. I think they're a seven to nine-win team this year is what I I forecast them to be, which is you know that's not bad. It's not great, but it's yeah, better it's than not four. Bad. Yes. So, but the the point is, you know, I I would trust him. I think your bias of seeing a a Bears team implode recently. Your your built-in bias is not to trust anything, which is kind of how I feel about the Cubs. You know, I yeah, right. I you know we waited 108 years. I don't think I'm going to last another 102 <laughs> years for that to come around. Oh man, yeah. Well, we can only hope, I suppose. <laughs> uh, last question here is at FF Swirly. Um, what do you care about from off-season developments, and what's the biggest trap? Also, what is your favorite soup? <laughs> well, I'm a good uh, chicken noodle soup guy. Yeah, myself. me too. I keep it simple. Uh, so. Although, boring, although you know, like the argument of do you call a hot dog a sandwich, do you call chili a soup? You know, that's a whole uh, other story. Yeah, well, if chili's a soup, it's chili. But if chili's yeah. not a soup, the yeah, chicken sorry. noodle give me a good chicken noodle and, and i'll <laughs> i'll go for that um yeah the the biggest mistake that you can make in the off season is getting too positive on changes in the coaching staff and to assume 
that just because a head coach did whatever as an uh, offensive coordinator that he's going to do the same thing now that he's the head coach um, and with different talent too. So in other words, I've seen guys who were, you know, considered to be conservative coaches when they were offensive coordinators because their head coach had a conservative tilt to them that became more daring coaches and more passing oriented, more longer stretched the, the defense kind of coaches when they were now in charge. So it's, you can sometimes read too much into a coaching tree is I guess the biggest mistake you can make. Okay. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good answer. I, I think that, that definitely makes sense. And I, I, I think sometimes we see, coaches come over that are like offensive gurus and then like the defense is really good, but the offense sucks. And it's like, well, wait a minute, aren't you supposed to be, you know, but you know, what's intriguing to me is this whole Patriot situation. Like you've got these failed head coaches that didn't work on the offensive side of the ball ever. And now all of a sudden they're running the offense with a young quarterback. So that's, I mean, that's probably Belichick pulling the newest trend here. That's going to, every team's going to be following here in a couple of years, but uh, that's, that's awfully mind blowing to me. Um, for me, the biggest, the biggest trap is I, you know, I think it's, it's just the hype of whatever world that you live in. Like I don't spend a ton of time on Twitter. Um, so like when I, when I hear about the guys that blow up on Twitter, well, typically I'm usually ahead of that because it's, it's now it's August that things are blowing up, but most of my rookie drafts were in May or even April. Yeah. So, you know, I, I have 12 shares of Isaiah Pacheco, and I had him long before people even knew who he was. And trust me, I didn't think he was going to be good. I'm not sitting here telling people, like, oh, I knew. No, I didn't know anything. I'm just saying that I already got my shares. It's done. It's over. I, there's nothing I could do about it at this point. So whether he's good or not, is, oh, great. That's great if he's good. But if he's not, it is it is what it is. Um, you know, so I, I think really – at the, at the end of the day, just the hype train on every little thing that comes out. And the NFL is brilliant at what they've done at making this a year round thing and making every little event a, a big deal. And trust me, no one loves the draft more than I do. And I love all that stuff, but it's, it's all the different hype machines that get turned on and then they get you, you know, watching hard knocks and Jarvis Landry makes a crazy speech and then you trade your first round pick for him that, you know, could have been uh, Justin Herbert the next year or whatever, you know what I mean? So like, let, let's kind of just pump the brakes on some of this stuff um, and, and, or use it to your advantage, right? Like if, if there's a guy that maybe you don't believe in necessarily, but now there's a ton of hype or maybe you have several shares, move one of those shares because, because of the hype. So um, ultimately, I think it's just to not get too high or get too low, uh, because what were we saying a year ago about Jamar Chase? Like, oh, a guy can't see the stripes on the foot. I mean, yeah. What? You know? So, uh, you know, it's it, it goes both ways, too. Like, let's not let's not get too crazy either way. So essentially, trust your trust your process and uh, and stick to it. So thanks for the question there. Uh, and, and there's. And there's two forms of Twitter out there when it comes to the fantasy football community. 
there's the early in the day Twitter people like me who get up way too damn <laughs> right. early, and a lot of the yeah, East that's Coast, usually me as well. A lot of the East Coast dad types, you know, that uh-huh. also are included in that group. And then there's the drunk at night Twitter <laughs> people, which I always tend to avoid because I'm usually tucked in bed long before people get drunk. Now, all kidding aside, you can't react to every little piece of information that is out there. You cannot overreact. I jokingly say we have different seasons. You know, we we have the uh, the overhype before the draft season. Then we've got the overhype of the draft season. Then we got the overhype of the OTA seasons. And then we've got the overhype of the camp season. And then we've got the overhype of preseason game one. And and I, the thing I love is the inconsistency of fantasy football-aholics like us. And so you'll see somebody that will go ahead and they will comment, Oh, look at so-and-so. He got, you know, 75 yards on 10 touches. And then they'll turn around and they'll say about another guy. Well, you know, I, that he, and they, they like that guy who got the 10 touches. Okay. They don't, they don't like the guy who, who got eight touches and they'll say, Oh, all the starters sat. Right. And you're like, (laughs) right, right, right. But doesn't you work were just saying, you know, yeah, it's it's the inconsistency that, that that I find hilarious. And the thing is, is like every coach does things different anyway. So you can be on both sides of that, but it looks dumb when you say it. Um, but yeah, it's it, the don't overreact to stuff. I mean, George Pickens is a good ball player but he still hasn't played a single down of football that counts. Right. We saw the other side of this with Jamar Chase. We saw Traylon Burks, who apparently, I guess he must have oxygen tanks that he carries <laughs> with him everywhere because he can't breathe or whatever. And and you got other guys that are, you know, are supposed to be way overweight. I mean, Leonard Fournette came in to camp looking like the Michelin man. And then one right. week later you see a picture and he looks like Leonard Fournette again. It's like, you know, just nobody reporting on camp ever got clicks for saying everybody looked good today. Right. So it's always, always an overhype of somebody who is way down the roster. It's just like this Antonio Gibson lining up in block you know, kick blocking coverage in <laughs> drills now. Right. Well, they're doing that for a punishment. They're doing that saying, here, this is the way your career could go if you don't stop fumbling the ball. It, that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean Brian Robinson is, a you know, elevated above him on the on the depth chart. No, no different than a couple of weeks ago. We we're talking about how George Pickens was only taking reps with the second and third stringers. Do you right. remember that from day right. one of camp? So yep. the guy that two weeks ago was was like, oh my God, he's a high draft pick. He's not even on the he's on the depth chart as a third stringer right now. Well, of <laughs> course he's a rookie. He hasn't done anything. He hasn't even sang for his supper yet as a hazing in in camp. He's of course going to be on the third string, but now all of a sudden, you know, they're 
there's some guy somewhere carving his bust and getting his his jacket ready for Canton. That's right. I mean, it's it, it's amazing how these swings can go in the matter of just a week. And you know, Isaiah Pacheco, I, I brought his name up. I knew he was going to make the Chiefs because of his return game. I only knew sure. about his return game because he returned a good punt against the the Boilermakers. I'm from Purdue. Um, so I saw him and I'm like, oh, good. When he's picked up by the Chiefs, I'm like, they don't really have anybody in the return game that they want to count on because they don't want Hardman doing returns yeah. in case they have to use him as a wide receiver. They don't usually like to do that. So when I saw that, I'm like, okay, he's going to make the roster. If he makes the roster, he's got two guys that nobody counts on as being great running backs that are ahead of him. And he played at Rutgers for crying out loud. So I don't worry about how many yards per carry he had. Right. You know, I just, you know, I, I, I just don't look at Rutgers as a football powerhouse. So, oh, I mean, if, if he was doing those yards per carry for Alabama, I'd be concerned, but for sure. Rutgers, I'm going to give him a pass. And if you can catch the ball in to, uh, good enough to be a kick returner, you got a chance of catching the ball out of the, from Patrick Mahomes too. So all of a sudden I, I like him maybe as being the guy who's the upside guy to win the uh, Jared McKinnon role this year. So, sure. um, but yeah, don't overreact, just kind of use the data and, you know, stick to your guns a little bit. Don't, don't go up and then down and up and down. Just nice little gentle rise when you want to increase a guy's value. And similarly on the downside, don't jump off the, the bridge, just kind of, all right, I'm going to go a little lighter on this guy. And with that, that is the end of our show sheet. So that is the end of our show. Thanks again so much, Dennis, for coming on with me tonight. We got to chat here for a couple hours. Great. Found out that, uh, I mean, you knew where I grew up and everything. How awesome is that? Uh, Pretty cool stuff, man. Anybody who knows where Tommy's hot dogs is, uh, is pretty good. And, you know, being a Chicago guy, now I don't like all that junk on it. I just like mustard and onions. But yeah, um, yeah, yep. But, I'm with but you. T- Tommy's isn't quite up there with the elite, like you know, a Jeans and Jude's. No, or, no, 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 or a Mustard's Last it's, Stand. It's a tear down. It's a tear down. It's tear a tear down, but it's a yeah. good tear down. It's oh, yeah. still still oh, highly yeah. acceptable hot dogage. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, it's it's a weekly uh it's a weekly occurrence in my life. So yeah, no no doubt. I'm, I'm with you there. Uh Dennis Michelson at D Mike Media on Twitter, also at Psy underscore FF, which is the science of fantasy football.com. Um Dennis, anything else you want to plug or pitch or throw in no, there? No, we're just no, just happy for uh, for being on tonight. Uh, when the professor and I had the untimely death of fake pigskin earlier this year, we were concerned about where we would go, and uh, we're finding uh, doing our own thing is actually bringing us more traction than it did last year. But awesome. uh, love to, to visit with you. And anytime you, you uh, got another couple hours to kill, because I, as you see, hey, four hours of radio every day, <laughs> I can talk. But uh, been fun, Scott. It's, uh, it's great. And I'm looking forward to 
you know, one of these times that I'm up in the Chicagoland area, getting yes. hollering, saying, "Hey, I'm in town." Although, yes, if you want to want to come to visit me on Sunday, I'll be on the South Side, which is way away from you, but I'll be uh, helping call a fantasy or a, a frisbee football game on oh, Sunday. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Our, our vaunted Chicago Union, who okay, are the yeah. Central Division champions in the American Ultimate Disc League, are taking on their their arch rival, the Minnesota Wind Chill, and I'll be there on the awesome. sidelines. I'll be a sideline reporter for that one. This uh, I'm usually the play-by-play guy, but they're bringing the national voice in, so I guess I got to wow. get on the desk. But uh, be a lot of fun. Wow. We go to the playoffs. Uh, if we win on Sunday, then we go up uh, to the Final Four in Madison, Wisconsin, the the capital city of ultimate, as they call it. But uh, yeah, Incredible. so I'll be on the south side of town, right down by uh, Comiskey Park. I oh still yeah, call it Comiskey, which I still call it, by the way. It's yeah, always going to be Comiskey. Uh, it's Comiskey. Yeah, or we call it the cell because you got to be locked up to go there anyway. <laughs> That sounds like a Northsider to me. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Dennis, for being on. Thank you to all the listeners. Don't forget, um, follow, subscribe, download, uh, Twitter, YouTube, at Trade Addicts, at DAP Network. Uh, I'm at Scott Sidlow. And with that, I'll give you a little uh, Trade Addicts out.